I'm so excited to welcome you to the Leading for Justice mini-series. This is going to be a four-part series where we explore the research on why shared leadership should be an area of focus and how to set up structures for shared leadership in our educational contexts. This episode provides an overview of the impacts of shared leadership, and I'm going to review the existing research with a specific focus on the benefits of providing opportunities for meaningful student leadership specifically. So shared leadership certainly is inclusive of more than students. It includes families and caretakers, teachers, community members, non-instructional staff, administrators. We're going to focus a little bit more narrowly on students today. That is why we're in the education space after all. As a quick preview of the entire mini-series, the next episode will focus on how to measure the constructs that we'll discuss today. In the third episode, we're going to look at specific structures that amplify and sustain student leadership. And in that episode, I'm going to give you a few examples of what that actually looks like in practice in a few schools and districts around the nation in the United States. And the last episode, which will be the fourth in the series, is going to focus on how to analyze the data that you've collected through an adaptive leadership lens so that you can finally tackle those long-standing challenges, those challenges or struggles they've been working on for years, and it's not going anywhere. So let's dive into the research on how shared leadership practices impact a school and its stakeholders. First, let's talk about equity. To me, the first step in addressing the question of how can we improve educational equity at our school, and I've spoken about this before, is to implement shared leadership practices. So just a note on shared leadership, if you haven't heard my work on shared leadership before, this is similar to, but I think distinctly different from the often used phrase in education, distributed leadership, because distributed leadership often just refers to administrators sharing power with teachers. But in this idea of shared leadership, we're talking about all stakeholders sharing decision-making power which again is inclusive of a range of folks. So students, families, staff, teachers, administrators, community members. It's not that narrow focus of just administrators and teachers. So I do wanna just name that in talking about shared leadership, that's where I'm coming from. So advancing equity to address the needs of your specific community, because each community is going to be different. You wanna ask the variety of stakeholders in your community. You want to know from them what needs to change. What are the struggles? What is your experience with the schooling system and interacting with folks in the school? Especially when we're trying to address those entrenched equity challenges, those longstanding problems that we haven't been able to address for years, if not decades, if not centuries, right? We often tend to look to the same group of people who've always been making decisions to come up with a solution that will work, but we, we absolutely can't do that when we're trying to address those entrenched challenges. Adaptive leadership scholars tell us that this has to be a community effort to address those longstanding adaptive challenges. And shared leadership asks us to listen more than we talk, to collect data, including perception data, which is often overlooked at the expense of just looking at academic data and numerical data. And we're going to talk more about how to look at that and what types of data to look at when we think about perception data in the next episode. So stay tuned. 
Um, and we need to look at all of these pieces before we rush to take immediate action. So equity is the goal. Adaptive leadership is kind of the lens because we are often trying to address and tackle those adaptive longstanding challenges. And then shared leadership is kind of the how. And again, future episodes will go in depth about exactly how, like, what does this actually look like in practice? But let's continue talking about the benefits here. The other benefit of shared leadership is this is not a one-time initiative. Education is filled with one-time initiatives where we get really excited. We get a bunch of buy and we say, this is the year we do X. And then we do X and it's not sustained. And so because it's not sustainable, the impact is limited. Shared leadership practices are inherently sustainable. So we can't have a one-time conversation about policy and call it a day. I mean, I guess that would be better than never talking about policy, but it can't be this one-time event. Sharing leadership enables us and encourages us to have ongoing conversations about policy and practice. So issues like problematic dress codes or punitive discipline policies, how students are graded, all of this can be and should be regularly reviewed and discussed within a shared leadership governance structure. So it's not going to be news to someone when we're changing a policy because everyone's already involved in that conversation from the start. The moment that uh, you know we start the school year, we're talking about all of these things. We're reviewing, we're revisiting, we're adapting, we're constantly checking around perceptions. Is this working? Is it not? And if it's not, let's change it. It's just part of the day-to-day fabric of how we do things at the school. The other piece, which I find really fascinating, this comes from like organizational scholarship, is that research found, has found that organizations actually make better decisions for the organization when multiple stakeholders are involved in the decision-making process. So if we actually do want better outcomes for our schools, then it's actually in our best interest to include student and family voices. Historically, these groups have not been part of the conversation We need those voices to make better policies. Inherently in inviting folks in and having this conversation around these shared leadership practices or with these shared leadership practices, that's what's gonna get us the better policies. That's what's going to avoid these massive challenges in the future. And so, for example, if we're working with students, families, and teachers collectively to create a feminist anti-racist dress code then we're likely going to decrease the amount of resistance to the dress code, the amount of lost learning time because kids are being kicked out of class because they don't follow the dress code. This is going to be this ongoing benefit once we create policy in community with each other. Another benefit of shared leadership is that it improves student belonging. And so this idea of equity and this goal of pursuit of equity is actually really intimately tied to belonging. And I want to speak a little bit on that here. So I'm going to share this long quote with you from uh, some researchers who did a study and published their findings in 2021. So they say school belonging is associated with a range of positive educational and developmental outcomes, including psychosocial health and well-being, pro-social behavior and academic achievement, and transition into adulthood. However, an increasing number of students worldwide report not feeling a sense of belonging to their school. 
There is growing research evidence that strong student-teacher relationships can promote school belonging. Students who lack a sense of belonging are more likely to engage in problematic behavior, suffer from mental illness, and experience low achievement. The most at-risk students are the ones who are already vulnerable, and these effects can continue into adult life. That's the end of the quote. So in short, belonging is positively associated with a lot of good things and negatively associated with a lot of bad stuff, right? Yet there is this worldwide trend that is incredibly troubling, that perceptions of belonging are actually decreasing for students. And this paper actually used data from before COVID-19. And so I imagine that this trend has only intensified since that data was collected. There are probably likely feelings of more isolation, less belonging of students. I imagine this trend is more salient than ever. Additionally, these researchers linked student belonging to other outcomes like increased academic performance and motivation and a decreased likelihood of risky and antisocial behavior, school dropout, substance abuse, truancy, and depression. So belonging is a critical component of the student experience and ultimately a lot of youth development and academic outcomes. I especially wanna emphasize that improving belonging is critical for students who have been marginalized by the systems and structures of not only our educational system, but society at large. So looking back at this research, an average across 67 countries, so students completed the survey from 67 different countries and researchers found that across all of those countries, socioeconomically disadvantaged students were 7.7% less likely to report belonging. This difference was really particularly large in the United States and 11 other countries. First-generation immigrant students were 4.6 less likely on average to report belonging, and girls were less likely to report belonging than boys. I do want to note that no data was reported for non-binary or gender non-conforming students, and I'm not sure if that was because they didn't ask for it that year or they didn't report that data in the summary as I was reading it, but I do wanna just highlight that. So we do know anecdotally from, from other research and data that I've seen, um, you know, when we look at gender non-conforming students or non-binary students, there is particularly low levels of belonging, uh, particularly associated with kind of op oppression from school policies or not feeling a sense of belonging as a direct result of school policies that are not inclusive and thoughtful about gender differences. I do wanna comment that the difference in the research here of girls being less likely to report belonging than boys was particularly large in seven countries of which the United States is one of them. So again, some really concerning trends here. Now, certainly there are a lot of things we can do. So on an interpersonal or classroom level, we can nurture positive student to student and teacher to student relationships. At the school level, we can amplify student voices in a meaningful way, right? To show that students' voices, experiences, ideas are valued and that they are full decision-making members of the school community, right? What a way to say that you belong. I see you, I hear you, I value your input. You are a leader. I am your partner as an adult. You're working together to decide things about the future of this school. Well, let's continue talking about some youth development and academic benefits. Individual students who engage in meaningful leadership activities 
demonstrate improved peer and adult relationships. And so again, if we connect that back to the previous research about belonging, when we have better relationships, we have a better sense of belonging. So all of this is interconnected. Those students in leadership activities also have improved positive self-regard, feelings of competence, school engagement, and academic performance. And when students act as representatives of different student groups, that also energizes the other students who identify with them. But they may not have a formal role or they're not engaging in particular leadership opportunities that are offered, but they identify with the students who are, and as a result, experience what researchers call cascading vitality. So essentially, student leaders who have historically experienced structural, political, or social marginalization, they inspire other students with similar identities and experiences to be able to see the possibilities for themselves as leaders. So there's this really generative effect. It's kind of this ripple effect or cascading vitality as the researchers call it, that is really powerful, even for the students who aren't directly involved. The other really important piece of this is that we're preparing students to be civically engaged now while they are in school and also later. And so there's a lot of research on you know, when students are in school, what are these different school experiences that impact positively their civic engagement as adults? But the other really important thing is that they're doing it now, right? Um, so Baum and Millard and Hamdorf actually tell us, you know, this, it really is just a reminder, but they say, quote, preparation for active citizenship was a foundational principle of public education in America from its beginning, end quote. And I think, again, we know this, we probably knew this at one point, but it's a powerful reminder that the goal of education is to prepare our students for active citizenship. And to me, active citizenship is partnering with others. It's leading change in our communities. And so it's great to prepare students to be these future leaders after graduation, but it's also really important both for the time they're with us in school, as well as that later time in their lives, that they have those authentic opportunities to do that work while they are with us in school. That civic engagement can't just happen out of nowhere, right? There needs to be this practiced effort, this experience of skill building and seeing themselves as leaders, that identity piece while they are in school. And those supports that the school offers, whether interpersonally, adult to student relationships and that radical collegiality I've spoken about before that adults can and should feel towards students or those structures of the school that enables students to take advantage of these leadership opportunities are really critical to bring all of this out. So we just listed a ton of benefits. So the obvious question here is what's next? How can I create these opportunities for my students? What does this look like in practice? That's actually what the next several episodes in this mini series are going to be about. So absolutely stay tuned, but I do wanna emphasize the first step here, and it's a critically important one, is helping adults and families and students see the benefits of a shared leadership approach. All stakeholders absolutely need to be able to see each other as partners who are capable of making thoughtful decisions about student learning. So as you prepare to implement the ideas and practices that we're gonna talk about in the next three weeks of episodes, ask yourself and ask folks around you, why are we doing this? And what are the possibilities 
So dream it up, find your why, and make sure that you have the conversations with folks who may be expressing some hesitation. So this episode was actually created to give you the language and the research to be able to talk to stakeholders in this way. If they're not sure they want to jump into a shared leadership approach, you can either share this episode directly with colleagues, with families. The free resource for this episode linked in the show notes and the blog post for the episode is actually a research one pager, which highlights all of the key ideas we shared in the episode as well. So it may be easier to share a short fact sheet with stakeholders. And if that's the case for you, absolutely grab that free resource and share away. There are a lot of different ways that we can make shared leadership possible, and we're going to explore several case studies, as I said, in the upcoming episodes. Just to preview some things we won't talk about necessarily in depth in the next few episodes, and to give you some sense of what is possible, what might this actually look like, student leadership skills, which are a critical piece of of student leadership structures, right? We have to build up the leadership skills of all stakeholders, not just students, But when we do that, we have to think about the ways that are possible to build those skills in students. And so these can be built in a variety of ways. They might be during academic courses. So courses that give them credit that align to perhaps social studies standards or ELA standards or whatever it is that are really practiced in academic courses. These skills are honed. They have projects that they can work on that have value and merit in the leadership space. They might have a direct influence on policy in the school, and those are really located in those academic courses during the school day. But it could also be training students in extracurricular activities or after school where students are serving as members, for example, of youth court, or they're acting as peer mediators, restorative justice conference leaders. It could also look like passing legislation at the school or district level or even state level. There is a group that has created a fantastic student bill of rights, and this was published online. I'll link to that in the blog post of this episode as well. But a bunch of students across the United States came together to compile what would a student bill of rights look like? And so that is something that is is a way to really legislate change as well. There are a variety of ideas. I don't want you to miss any of them. So if you are not subscribed already to the Time for Teachership podcast, you don't want to miss the upcoming three episodes of the Leading for Justice series. Go ahead and subscribe today. And I will see you next week where we're going to talk about measuring the student experience. One more thing before you go. I want to tell you about my new six-week hyper-focused group coaching program just for leaders who want to set up and sustain shared leadership structures that amplify student voice. Each week, we meet for 60 minutes to learn new concepts and skills, share implementation successes, and apply research-based approaches to address challenges. Sign up to meet with me and learn more at calendly.com slash lindsaybethlyons. The program will be open for enrollment through December 22nd, 2021.